say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. You need another chance to... Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and boom! We did it again, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We did. You know what? We're not flatlining here. No, that may be the name of our book with the author who is with us, Mark C. Deluzio. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, Flatlined is a book that you're going to go, well, well, but but Jay, I thought it's about lean transformations. Hold on. Hold on. Yes, it is. It is about lean transformation. But can I tell you something about lean transformation? You're all doing some part of it. I promise you, you are. You 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 are living. You we, As human beings, we are living, breathing, leave, lean transformations. Ha! Huh. You are trying to manage your life lean. You have got parts of your business that are lean. But you know what the problem is? There's a reason why these lean transformations can sometimes fail. And I have the godfather of lean tran- overcoming lean translations that flatline. Oh, he is right. He he's actually is the father of, of, of lean accounting. He really is. Mark C. Deluzio, he's amazing. He's great. We're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. But you know what? Before we do that, Let's do what we do every week, right? And I check in with you on the four areas of your life and see how your training is going, right? We're living in different times, ladies and gentlemen. Let's be honest, right? These are unique times, right? But that doesn't mean that you should stop training. Every day, you need to be training to be better than you were the day before. Matter of fact, hmm, sounds very similar to something that Mark talks about in this book when it comes to lean. It's called Kaizen. And it just means it means to change, right? It means to change, continual change, right? Because we can chase perfection. You may not be perfect, but you can always be chasing perfection. And Mark's going to talk about that. He's amazing. But the whole idea behind the four areas of our life is this. Look, we are four-part people, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And as you know, right, we have to train every day if we're going to improve. Right. So on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to ask you in each of these areas, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding. I'm asking you, everybody out there, you know, how do you think your training's going? So, so let's take physically. So when I ask you, how do you think your training's going? I'm asking you not only how are you exercising, but are you eating right? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? Right. Are you, are you consuming the right things in your body? Right. Right? So on a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to evaluate yourself, right, one miserable, 10 outstanding, and how well you think your training is going every day, how would you do? How would you say you're doing? Now, look, 5 is average, but here's the point. Right? The point is if you say, well, you know, my training's not very good. I, I, you know, I, I like to drink a lot of soda. I'm, pizza is uh, three meals a day. And um, quite frankly, I'm a couch potato. Okay, so maybe you're a 2 and a 3. All right, maybe you're 2.5. Can I tell you something? I'm not asking you to get to a 10. I just want you, if you're 2.5, I just want you to get to a 3. And so you got to ask yourself this question, why am I that way, right? Which, by the way, Mark's going to talk about why is a great question to ask. And then you got to ask yourself, what am I going to do to change that? What's the action that you're going to take? All right? So whatever that number is, that's your number, all right? So hold on to that number. That's your first number. Then there's the mental number. And when I talk about mental training, here's what I mean, is mental training is being an active participant in, in your, your ability to accumulate and retain knowledge. What are you studying? What are you purposely studying to improve yourself mentally? 
What are you what are you really focused on as an active participant that you're growing your mind that you're that you're learning maybe something about better skills in in what you do maybe it's about relationships maybe it's maybe it's taking up an instrument maybe it's taking up a, a foreign language what are you actively doing to in, expand your mind what are you studying or uh, you know are are you being the couch potato of your mind right maybe you're being a mental loafer I didn't say meat loafer a mental loafer right you know what mental loafers do? Mental loafers let the TV tell them what to think. Mental loafers, you know what they do? They just absorb. They don't act, are not active participants. Stop being a mental loafer. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 outstanding, how would you say your training's coming mentally? Right? And again, two questions. Right? Why? And then what are you going to do to change it? And then the third area of your life, right? The third area of your life is, 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 is the emotional and you go, well, what, what, what's emotional training? Well, it's really pretty easy. You're in it right now. If you're not under some stress, if you're not under a little duress, if your emotions aren't being challenged from time to time, it's your response that matters. Okay, it's your response that really, really matters in all of this. How are you responding to the stress and the pressure of today? See, when it comes to our emotional training, we have a choice in how we can respond. I may not have a choice of what comes at me, but I have a choice in how I'm going to how I choose to emotionally respond to something. Right? I mean, I mean, you could kick me as hard as you want. You do not know what my reaction will be because I may laugh at you, I may cry, I may kick you back. I have choices, but they're all my choices. That's the point. How well are you intentionally choosing your emotions? I'm not saying it's easy. I never said that piece. I'm just asking you, when it comes to your emotional training, how well are you choosing your emotions and choosing the right emotions? And then the second piece to that is, is how well are you able to tap into the emotions of other people? See, it's one thing to be able to control your emotions, but can you really relate when somebody emotionally tells you something? Sometimes we get lazy there too, right? Because we don't want to have to go there with somebody. But the truth is we need to because that's all part of our emotional training. Then finally, there's the spiritual area. And a lot of people will say to me, well, I'm not real spiritual. Well, we all are. I say this to you every week, right? If you have plans for the future, then you're spiritual because that means that you believe that they're going to happen. And if you believe they're going to happen and you haven't seen them yet, that's faith. It's undeniable. You, you, I don't care if you're gonna, if you're planning on taking a trip to the uh, to the local restaurant, you know, on you know tomorrow, right? It's a plan. You believe it's going to happen. It hasn't happened. That's faith. We all have this spiritual part of us that regardless of the circumstances around us, we can get back to center. We can get back to a sense of joy. We can get back to a sense of peace regardless of the circumstances. That's spiritual. Right? It's, it's when you remove the mental, the physical, and the emotional, and you remove all that stuff out of the, out of the way, what's left? That's your spiritual. And for some people, that spiritual training is God. For some people, that spiritual training, they, 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 they try to go to nature or, 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 or they try to go to uh, you know, meditation or something like that. Here's the question for you. How is the spiritual training going? Is it working? Is it working for you? 
Is it getting to you to where you want to be? If it's not, what do you got to do to change it? Why? And what are you going to do? And you remember what I tell you every week, and it's this, right? Being spiritual is not going to church and thinking about fishing. Being spiritual is going fishing and thinking about church and thinking about God. That's being spiritual. So these are your four areas. Think of those. You've got four numbers. Those four numbers are like the legs of the chair. If those numbers are uneven, you know what? Bad posture. Really tough. It's going to create soreness, aches, and pains. By the same token, if that chair is too low, you know what happens? Is if we're too low, we can't eat at the table to be healthy. So the whole idea is to bring those four numbers, those four legs of the chair up at the same time. And then as you do that, right, we can be more healthy. So do that. So work on your training this week. Speaking of somebody who works on his training, he's absolutely outstanding. His name is Mark C. Deluzio. He is the chief executive officer of of Lean Horizons Consulting. And uh, he's directly mentored. He was directly mentored by the originators of the Toyota production system, TPS, which we come to eventually know as Lean. He has directed the implementation of Lean principles and strategies globally for more than 25 years. Uh, he he founded uh, Lean Horizons Consulting uh, in 2001, which uh, still goes on today. Prior to Lean, uh, he was prior to the Lean Horizons. He was vice president and corporate officer of Danher Corporation, uh, a pioneer in the Lean movement. He also led Danher's corporate-wide implementation of Lean and designed what is now known today as DBS, or the Danher Business System, and which aligns Lean efforts within a company's business strategy at large. Uh, he's After his he began his Lean career in 1980 at Danher Jake Break, division as director of operations for Asian business. After studying the Toyota system under Tachi um, Ono's influence in the autonomous study group, he was instrumental in developing Jake's first zero defect line for Toyota's Hino Motors. He spent considerable time in Japan implementing the Toyota system and various world-class companies in his successful career in finance. He is also known as the father of lean uh, accounting. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to a new direction, Mark Deluzio. Mark, welcome to a new direction. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So the the book outstanding. I I really really did I really did enjoy this book. And so I want to start I want to start right away into uh, the pref the premise of this book because I think one of the things that you you say in the preface of this book is this book makes a case for the need to connect lean to the business as a whole to tie it to the strategy strategy use it at enterprise-wide and embedded into the culture, which I, 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 I find really fascinating. The thing is, as a worldwide audience goes on, right, we've, we've talked about lean because it's been for decades we've talked lean, but I don't think a lot of people really understand lean. Uh, I, I know that there's several people who don't understand lean. Can, we, can you give us a brief, a brief breakdown of what lean really is before we go into some of the more detailed pieces of it? Yeah, well, uh, I think maybe in a general sense, uh, you know, a lot of people think lean is about reducing costs. Mm. And if you do it right, you will reduce costs, but that's not the primary objective. If you if you go at it that way, you're going to uh, you're going to miss a lot of things and it will flatline from that regard. OK, uh, one of the things I think uh, that you have to think about is all the wasteful practices that a business has, and you don't really have to go to Harvard Business School to figure all this out. What I ask all your audience to do today, and I know you have a lot of small businesses and maybe some larger ones, just take your everyday life and evaluate how you've been treated at the doctor's office, Hmm. at the hot dog stand, 
at the furniture store, at the cable company. I don't care where. Think about the fact that a lot of the things that are in place today are not with you as a customer in mind. Okay. And it's, and that's one of the biggest things I think that a lot of people miss is that, you know, all the wasteful things that happen are really things that are put in place. Like for example, I call it phone mail jail. You call a 1-800 number and you have to go through a thousand different, you know, speeches, right? Now they all have a COVID speech. So you got to go through that. And now now you have to go through all kinds of other stuff and what they're, they just don't want to talk to you. Okay. They don't want to talk to their customer. And, um, and so ultimately you're just kind of a bother to them. Okay. Because they haven't really figured out and sat in your shoes or in your chair, if you will, as the customer as to how they're being perceived. Right. And how they're really servicing you. All the things that get in that way when I go to the doctor's office and I have to fill out a form six times, my birth date doesn't change from form to form. Why do I have to put it on six different forms? Okay. My phone number, I've had that phone number, Jay, since 1992. Okay. It's the same phone number. My address did not change while I'm sitting there filling out the form. So I will fill out the other five forms. Okay. Right. And they'll argue with me and I'll say, I'll sign them, you know, because I have to sign them. Right. Right. But I'm not going to fill it out. I'm going to do your work for you. That's ridiculous. You know, it's just little things like that. But, but, you know, when I went to your website and saw your, your emphasis on, on making change, right. That's, that's lean. Okay. It's, it's just, you know, Kaizen is the Japanese word, which means change. Kai means change. And Zen means for the good or for the better. Right. Okay. Everything you said in your four points are all about that. That is personal Kaizen. Okay. And, when everybody says, well, how, how do you start lean? You start with yourself. Mm. That's what you said on those four points. Now, I will tell you, I'm pretty good on all on three of them. The physical one, I'm getting better at. And I'll tell you what I've done just to let you know. Okay. I go to the gym five times a day. And that's because I name my refrigerator gym. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, <laughs> Jay, that's a low one. Okay. And I've got a lot of room for improvement in that regard. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> You got me. Oh my gosh. I was like, I'm like a, I'm like a bass in a small pond, man. You got me. So, you got me so good on that. Oh, well, my. You know, Lee's about, Lee's about taking out waste right, in any process. Why, why when you go to the furniture store in order uh, a dining room set, they always tell, I don't know what, I think they're in cahoots, but they always say eight weeks, right? Right. Eight weeks. Does it really take eight weeks to make that dining room set? No, right. it probably takes a matter of four, five, six hours. Right. Okay. But the way they process it and the way they transport it and all that, that's what we do. We try to get the the lead time, eight weeks, right. down closer to the process time to better service the customer. And when you guys do that in any business that you're in, and right. I don't care if it's service, manufacturing, doesn't matter. If you can provide better service, better lead times, better quality, you will grow your business and you will reduce your costs. Okay. Yeah. It's counterintuitive, but you will do that. I don't care. I don't care if you're a lemonade stand. <laughs> no, it's, it's really true. And, and, you know, here's the thing about lean and, and I'm glad you brought it up because you make such a point in this book that lean is, lean is not about just about manufacturing. So often no. we want to think it's about manufacturing, but the truth is, and you make this point in the book that you've done this with insurance companies, you've done this in the financial industry, you've done this with several service companies and, and sales companies. This is not just a manufacturing model, 
right? And and because at the end of the day, you know, lean starts with the you start with your customer. What does your customer want? And then we kind of work back of going, well, what are we doing, right? I mean, in, in, in a real over over generalized sense, what are we doing and are we doing everything with everybody involved to reduce the amount of effort and time that we're that we're putting together? Are we wasting? Right. We, we, we were going to talk about waste. But, you know, are we talking about Murray or Murrah and, you know, do we, we want we want Muda? And, and I know, see, I'm throwing these terms out because, A, they're in my head and B, I'm, they're teasers sort of different down the road. But the truth of the matter is, you know. What is our, where is our waste coming from? Is it because we're coming from uh, the amount of time we're spending doing one thing? Are we, are we doing the same thing twice or three times, right? The things that you're talking about. One of the things that you, in chapter one, one of the things you talk about, you, you ask the question, why have companies flatlined? And you go through this list, and I just want to give a few of these lists of why people can flatline. First of all, they don't understand that a lean transformation is more than a cost reduction program, which I think you really, you know, said, you know, is that I think people think that lean is just, you know, reducing cost and it's far more that. The other thing you say is that typically view lean as a manufacturing convention, which we talked about, doesn't it applies to all your business and all parts of your business. The other thing is that we still we're still running in a 1970s mindset when it comes to business, which is crazy enough. Uh, they believe that fundamentals of lean don't apply to their business, which we're going to destroy today. Um, they've come confused by consultants who've well, do I dare I say Six Sigma that get thrown in there that uh, that confuse the process, and then um, they fail to look at themselves. And you started with this; they fail to look at themselves critically when evaluating and rating, the, evaluating the reason why they're failing in the first place. And I think those those things are important. But then you go on to say, you know what? Do you want your company to be in the ninety eight percent or the two percent? And you say ninety percent of Eight percent of all doctors, lawyers, and real estate agents are ones you don't want to deal with. There are really only two percent that are exceptional. And then you link it to discipline. Expand on that. Well, uh, by the way, it's funny that you said that about real estate agents because I just had one that was in the ninety-eight percent. Um, mm. Anyway, but we won't we won't go there. <laughs> okay. Let me get to. Okay. Well, you know, the 2% thing, Jay, is I think you know this. I mean, you know, you know, if you look at any discipline, I don't care who it is, what it is, look at sports, right? Sports right. is a great analogy because the, the very best, you take Michael Phelps, you know, his diet, well, his di- I shouldn't say that. His diet is all Big Macs. He, he blew my theory when he did that. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, you think about the discipline of how he works out, the trainers, right. Right. even the clothes he wears when he swims, right. how he cuts his hair, how he sleeps, how he does nutrition, as you said. You know, that is discipline, right? Right. And what you kind of talked about in those four points is discipline, right? Yeah. And all you're saying is improve your discipline just another half a point, and then when you get there – Go to the next half a point, right? And, to, and you know, you're not going to get it maybe to a perfect 10, but maybe a seven or an eight will be great. And you'll be a much better, happier person. So, so if you think about the, you know, most disciplines have the lethargic 98 percenters who survive because their industry stinks mm. and their competition stinks. Mm. And they may be the tallest guy in a pygmy village, but they're only four feet tall. Okay. And, and then when Shaq O'Neal comes into your into your your industry, you know, 
you're in trouble. And so, you know, I, I, I tell executives, I say, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you is that one day you wake up and you find out that Toyota is coming into your industry. Right. You're in trouble. Okay. Uh, you know, and then, and, you know, so the discipline thing is a really big deal uh, about that. And that's one of the reasons a lot of things fail. <laughs> but, you know, when you get back to the 98% and in, in, in the, in the upper crust of the 2% that are really good at this or anything that they do, just apply it to your general life. I think you guys all know who, who the right stores are to go to, who the right doctors are to go right. to. Everybody has those experience with the 98%. There's nobody out there that doesn't. And I don't care if it's a dentist. I don't care if it's a lawyer. I don't care if it's a real estate agent. It doesn't matter. Everybody knows what I'm talking about in that regard. So my number is like 2% of the people in any profession are really world-class at what they do. And and that's what we want to do with with Lean has become world-class. When you go those four points that you talked about, you're getting into that 2% range, right? And that's what you're trying to work towards. And I'm I'm, I'm not as concerned about the score as as much as I am the rate of improvement. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we're going to right. healthy rate of improvement. That's because you're, the best person to benchmark against yourself is you, right. right? And I think you said that, right? right? Benchmark against yourself, not all the other guys. Some guys have bigger houses. Some guys right. have nicer cars. Benchmark against you, okay? And then keep moving forward. You know, you you talk about lean is really counterintuitive to what we think when it comes to um, you know being successful and change because. Most people think that if we're going to be world class, it's going to require, you say this, it's going to require disruption and in innovation. But lean is not, that's not lean's, it's about discipline. It's about, it's about disciplining every aspect of the business because the disruption and innovation come out of discipline. Isn't that really the truth? Exactly, exactly. You know, as... <clears throat> I'll give you a, a very simple example. You know, when you do Kaizen, and Kaizen is means continuous improvement, but it also means like going in and proving something, right? Many doors are closed to you if you do not open the first door with your first Kaizen. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a real good layman's example. Believe it or not, it just happened to me two days ago. So my wife and I bought this new house. Here we are sitting. I'm in, I'm sitting in the bathroom right now because I the movers are here and I and it's too noisy. Um, and uh, you probably hear an echo here. Um, but the um, so we're talking about how to lay out the kitchen, okay? And where we're gonna put the silverware? We're gonna put the you know the the, the toaster and the coffee pot and the refrigerator, you know. So. I, the whole dilemma was we don't we want to reduce the walk time in the morning. I don't want my silverware on the other side of the kitchen and my coffee pot over here and my you know. So my wife Diane is, is thinking about that and I said, well, let's, hey, let's let's just break the notion that all of our silverware has to be together. Mm. Maybe maybe the silverware we use every day for our breakfast and our lunch and stuff like that we keep in one section. The rest of the silverware, you know. So she said, yeah, but we don't have the drawers to do that because we're going to use uh, the, this, this drawer for this and this drawer for that. And But you know what we can do? I can, just put, the, I can put the silverware into a nice canister right on the counter. So I said, okay, so if I didn't come up with the first idea, she wouldn't have came up with that idea, okay? <laughs> That's how Kaizen works, okay? Right. So you say something, I say, we go back and we play off each other. And one of the things the Japanese, my mentors taught me was the spirit of seven alternatives. If, if you're trying to do something, try to come up with seven different ways to do it. Now, you and I will come up with three very easily, right? right. The last four are really tough. And what happens? 
I might say a real dumb one on number six that or seven, and that will spurn number eight or will give somebody another idea that takes you to a place you never would have thought of if you didn't do that kind of thinking. So when you talk about your four points, what are you doing mentally to challenge yourself? That's a good example of that, you know? And uh, so, so, you know, it's all about improvement. Uh, it's all about challenging the status quo. And the one thing I will say is that most of us live our lives differently than we run businesses, mm-hmm. right? right? We don't go out and buy 12 months of groceries <laughs> because they're on sale. Right. Companies do that. Uh, we don't go, uh, if I live in Chicago, I don't go to Los Angeles to, to, to go grocery shopping because it's cheaper, but we go to China. We'll move our factories, you know, uh, 8,000 miles away from our customer base because we think we're saving money and you never do, by the way. I've done the math. Okay. <laughs> you never do. Right. Okay. And uh, we don't, uh, you know, I, I was with a CEO one time and in a factory, they said, uh, we run all of our equipment. We pay everybody on equipment uptime because we paid a lot of money for that equipment and we want to get a return on that equipment. So they're making stuff that they didn't need just to keep the machines running, which is a problem. And they didn't want changing over because they don't. that takes time. And so they're making the wrong stuff. So they had all kinds of problems. So I said to the CEO, I said, you know, geez, you've got a new car. And he had a Lexus, you know, and I said, uh, you run that around the block tonight a thousand times. You paid a lot of money for that, right? You run around a block tonight a thousand times to get utilization out of it? And he said, no, I wouldn't do that. I said, why are you doing it here? Mm. Why are you doing it here? We do not run our businesses the way we run our lives. And a lot of that has to do with our compensation systems and the way we measure ourselves. His name so it's is... Totally different, totally different game. His name is Mark C. Deluzio. The book's called Flatlined, and you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, everybody, you know what? Uh, New Direction has two sponsors, and we love them to death. Epic Physical Therapy, which just opened up a new facility uh, in the Triangle Research Triangle Park. Look, whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery, maybe you're suffering every day, aches and pains. Maybe you're having difficulty performing activities of daily living. Maybe you're an athlete, and you're just not playing at your elite level. Look, or maybe you just want to improve how you move and feel. It, it's it's all good, right? Because the, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs. It's, 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 listen, with their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professionals and everybody in between, you know what, they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So when you're ready for Epic Relief, Epic Recovery, and Epic Results, don't look any further. Go to Epic Physical Therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. For 35 years, they have been at the top of their game in real estate. How do you stay at the top of your game for 35 years? Well, you know what? It all starts with relationships. Pure and simple. It, it all starts with understanding what you know their customers want and need. And it's understanding that... You know what? The home is more than just the number one purchase probably you'll have in your personal life. It's understanding that the memories that are made in those homes are what are most precious. Because after all, you'll never remember how much your grandmother or grandfather paid for their house. But man, you'll remember every piece of pie that your grandmother cooked for you, won't you? Right? You remember the good times, right? Hanging out with the cousins and those things, right? Well, Linda understood this. She understood that, you know, the power of the memories that were created in the home. Maybe it was having a new child. Maybe it was the new dog. Whatever it were, those memories became the most powerful. And so she wanted to connect with people on that level, right? 
and at the same time bring them bring them a service in which that they could get the best price for their home and and also somebody who would be negotiating in their best interest when they were buying their new home and that was Linda and so for 35 years, she has been at the top of her game and continues to do so with her team. Even when interest rates were at 18% in the 80s, she was doing her thing. And that is why her clients, even from 1985, still come to see her and say her customer service is legendary. So when you're ready to go with the memory makers, when you're ready to go with the person who who really understands the power of a relationship, go with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R. A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction, and we're talking to uh, Mark Deluzio, and uh, his book is Flatlined, and uh, we're talking about lean and lean transformations, and we're going through the this book with him, and it's a great book, by the way. I, I, I really want to tell people that if, you're, if your company is not in lean, chances are you are using lean or at least some portion of it, but those, those corporations who I know listen to the show, because I got a lot of you up in New York City, uh, a lot of corporate folks in New York City and California and uh, all over the world that I know some of you do practice lean. I just want to say that if, if you're having questions about lean, you need to really look up Mark Deluzio, and that's D-E-L-U-Z-I-O, uh, D-E-L-U-Z-I-O, um, Mark Deluzio, because you need to check him out. Because um, if you're struggling with it, you need to talk to him about how to um, work through it because he can help you definitely do that. And for those of you who aren't using lean or have some misconceptions about it, that's why you're listening to the show as well, because um, we're going to talk through why lean is so important. You've heard us already use some terms uh, in lean as well. And we're going to talk about, um, we, we're going to talk about like Kaizen, which is continuous improvement, but we're going to talk about um, the solution in five steps. And we're going to talk about some of these steps in the solution with Mark here. So one of the things you say, chapter two, is that there are five steps and you kind of introduce the, the five steps to us. The very first step I think is interesting and you've kind of alluded to it is that if we're going to have sustainable results, we have to have a mindset shift. And so let's talk about what our mindset mindset shift has to be if we're going to have some sort of sustainable results. You know, whether it be lean or actually any business. In, in reality, when I look at this thing, I'm like, on oh, everything that you said is absolutely true. So you talk about we have to default to the basics and then basic tenets of lean. So talk us through what our mind shift has to be and what we have to do. Well, I think, Jay, the, the first thing that I come across all the time, and this is also without exception, is that a CEO or an owner of a business or whoever, or whoever it may be, somewhere along the initial conversation, they'll tell you how different they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had a very big multi-billion dollar company once tell me how different they were from Danaher, which by the way, Danaher is still one of the best performing firms financially uh, on the planet. Okay, I mean, it returns... Just to let you know, Toyota returned since 1997, 6% to shareholders per year. Danner returned on average 21, 22%, somewhere in that wow. vicinity. Okay. Wow. Um, and I held up a, a stock chart, their company and ours. I go, yeah, I see you're different. I actually do see you're different. Okay. They were down. We were like the top line on the chart. And this was after an article that I was quoted. I, I was uh, in, in Business Week where they had Danaher and they had then uh, Berkshire Hathaway right below us, then GE, then um, uh, the S&P 500, right? So 
Uh, so I said, yeah, I do see the difference. I do see the, I see where you are on this chart. You're right. You are different. Okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're not but, you know, I, and then I, then my next comment is, you know, everybody tells me that they're different in that regard. They're really the same right. because, you know, you all have the same thing in common. So the first notion is to say how different, because what you're really doing is you're convincing yourself that this won't work. And I have CEOs tell me, yeah, you got to understand, Mark, we don't make cars. Okay. Uh, my next comment is, thank God you don't, because we all be walking. Okay. All right. And, and uh, you know, do you know how complicated a car is? Okay. And uh, there's thousands of parts that have to come together all at the same time. Right. And they all have, when you turn a key or whatever, you have to, it has to work. Okay. Right. So, uh, so the whole, the first mindset shift is, is getting away from this business about you're different. Now with the, on the other hand, I'll say to you, you need to customize your approach to your business. Sure. Okay. So I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. Right. However, um, that's the first mindset shift. The other mindset shift is not accepting no for an answer. In other words, if you, even if you're the best in your industry, and those, those are the companies that are the hardest to change because they become very complacent. Mm. And, they, and they actually buy into how good they really are when they're not. And so you have to actually move your benchmark away from your industry. For example, an insurance company has to look at a different industry. Okay, right. and understand rates of improvement and things like that. So the whole mindset sh shift of of really breaking through to superior that two percent upper two percent performance is a mindset shift that sometimes is very difficult to, to happen. Well, here's 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 the thing. So like the we are different mentality, and I run into this as a coach too, right? That you know uh, you know what uh, we're very different, or you know that's never going to work in my market. You know, it just doesn't work in our end or it doesn't work in our industry. Right. You know, you comment about this in the book that as soon as you hear this, right, this, that's a defensive mechanism, right? Where, well, first of all, you're, you're already closed off to any possibilities, right? And which by the way, violates the whole principle of lean in the first place is that you've, you've, you've shut yourself down to the possibilities of having any breakthroughs. First of all, Right, I mean, which is is exactly. which is incredibly important, right? That different mentality. Then the then the other the other piece that I think people miss in the mind shift set is understanding the trilogy. That lean it, the lean trilogy is is a trilogy, and making that work. So talk a little bit about the lean trilogy of the employee, customer, and shareholder, and how that can you know be a problem in reality if we don't get our mind wrapped around it correctly. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <clears throat> That trilogy, just to let people know, is um, looking at three stakeholders, employees, customers, and shareholders. Now, I will acknowledge there are other stakeholders, right. suppliers, the community, the environment, society, uh, and all that. And even Toyota says their competition is a stakeholder, believe it or not. I believe that. It's crazy. I've never heard of another company say that about their competition. But anyway, let's go back to the basic three, employees, customers, and shareholders. All three groups have to win, okay? Mm. You cannot just focus on the shareholder at the expense. It can't be a zero-sum game, okay? Right. Uh, so everybody – and by the way, all of their – all those three groups have different objectives and, and goals, right. okay? So you have to find a way to satisfy all of them, okay? Now, sometimes you may do something for one group that takes away from the other. 
But when you step back overall and look at it, all three have, like for example, if I give an employee a raise, I could argue with you that that's going to cut into shareholder profits. Right. But I can also argue with you that, hey, I'm going to save on attrition. I'm going to have happier employees, although I know money's not a, 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 a satisfier in the long run. But I'll, I'll, I'll prevent people from leaving because I'm underpaying them. Right. And that will cause all kinds of disruption for not only my shareholders, but for my customers. So, yeah. so you have to look at it in context and make sure that you understand, first of all, what your three groups are really looking for. Everybody thinks they know, but they really don't. Right. And uh, and then and then from that, figure out how you're going to satisfy all three stakeholders. And that's the trilogy. OK, most companies pay lip service to the employee, mm-hmm. uh, don't really understand their customer. <laughs> OK, they think they do. I, I mean, I've been in, in, in companies where they mark themselves green, which means they hit their numbers in terms of custom, what they think the customer wants. And the customer marked them red. OK, they marked them down. And that happened to me. When I was uh, a general manager of the Asian business, I think I talked about this in the book, I wish we did the first, what's called the 3P line, the first zero defect line in, in the United States with Nakao-san from Japan and the Hino engineers from Toyota. And we created the first 3P line. It was the unbelievable cell manufacturing cell. I shipped from Connecticut to, 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 to Hino City, Japan, zero defects, 100% on time to their request date. Everything was perfect, right? So I go over there. I'm a young guy. I'm kind of cocky, you know, and I go over and I get into the, you know, I'm thinking, hey, these guys are going to roll out the red carpet for me, you know, <laughs> and they're gonna, I'm going to have sake. They're going to have music playing, you know, and I walk in and uh, the diesel engine that we supplied a part to, uh, they had on the wall 110 suppliers ranked from best to last. Okay. And so I go in there and I said, well, I've got to be in the top three, right? I mean, you can't get any better than that. Right. So I'm looking up there and I'm not seeing my name and I said, Oh, you know, I know, I know they wrote it in kanji characters. So I can't understand what my uh, company's name is. No, we were the only non-Japanese supplier. I looked down the list. We were number one Oh six out of one out of one ten. Okay. What? I asked why I, I, I ship you perfect quality, perfect on-time delivery, no right. warranty, no defects, nothing. You know what they said? What? Lucio son, when your boxes, when your, your, your cartons come here, your labels aren't always in the exact same place. Wow. Some are half an inch down. Sometimes they're quite, because we put them in by hand, right? With the, the operator right. take the label and just put them on, right? And that is not good. I said, wait a minute. That's dummy me. I said, that doesn't affect form, fit, or function, which is a manufacturing thing. Right. They said, Delusio, son, if you cannot guarantee the quality and standardization and discipline on the outside of the box, how can you guarantee it on the inside of the box? Think about that. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Ow. It's a totally different level, Jay, over there. And that's what I'm saying. When I go to the doctor and they can't, one of my wife's doctors sent her, instead of to a, a foot doctor, they sent her to a cardiologist, okay? And, 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 and all kinds of other things that went on with her appointments. When you can't get the easy things right, I'm going to let you operate on my brain? Wow. Oh, my God. That was the lesson I got there. So, so the lesson is I thought I understood my customer. I, I knew what they wanted. No, you know what? With Hino Motors, part of Toyota, right? Right. Quality 
and delivery was just a given. That was like, you got to have that because we're not playing with you. Right. They had all these other requirements. They had another requirement that we screwed up on too that we didn't know about. Okay. So I was 106 out of 110. Wow. Okay. And I thought I was top three. Uh, his name is Mark uh, C. Deluzio. His, uh, the book's called Flatlined. Uh, it, it's really uh, Lean Transformations Fail and what, why Lean Transformations Fail and what to do about it. Uh, but it's more than that. This book is a, a book that is going to uh, impact your business because it's going to make you think and it's going to make you want to improve and it's going to make you want to change. And if you are in lean, it is definitely going to be a life savior. If you're not in lean and you should be, uh, then you're going to want to read this book because I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be an eye opener for you. And I know as it is for me, uh, Mark, I, I got to tell you, one of the things that, uh, stood out to me when we tar- started talking about this trilogy thing, you know, employees, customers and state and, and shareholders, you know, the first thing you say is, you know what? Lean transformation is all about people in the first place. It's, it's always people. And you know, the story that you just related is really about, you know, how do people really think, right? You know, you're thinking that you've done everything right, but the label in the box is not exactly the same every time. So, you know, people want, I I get it. We want consistency. We want it to be repeatable and consistent every single time because we trust that, right? That's what we, we trust that as a customer. So when we don't, when the outside starts to be inconsistent, and by the way, what a great analogy for life, right? There's no integrity in someone who is inconsistent, is there? Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's just, that is just an amazing, I, I just, what a great story. That's not in the book, by the way, folks, that was, a, that, that's just, a, that was just a, that's a golden one for you right there. Uh, let's, let's talk about when we're moving along here. Let's 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 talk about can we should we do this should we talk about the six sigma hysteria because the truth of the matter is there is a little hysteria about six sigma even still even though Jack Welch is you know God rest his soul even though Jack Welch is no longer with us there still seems to be a six sigma bandwagon rolling around do we dare talk about that issue Sure sure go ahead because yeah well, because you know, I think you know, I, go ahead Yeah okay so so by the way, I am uh, Six Sigma certified. I'm a green belt. Okay. Uh, so I understand it pretty well. Uh, I am not anti Six Sigma. I will, first thing I'll say, because people think I am. But <laughs> Six Sigma J is a tool. Okay. And under the lean umbrella, there are a lot of, there are a lot of tools. Okay. Uh, there's standard work. There's Kanban. There's, uh, there's single minute exchange of die. There's the, there's sales and operations planning. There's uh, TPM. I can go on. 5S. Yeah. This visual management. There's all kinds of tools. Problem solving tools as well. Six Sigma is a statistical problem solving tool. You do not. You do not solve. You do not create a culture change with a tool. Mm. And that's what Jack Welch tried to do, and he failed. Okay. I recognized that a long time ago, and and it's still a problem today because there's a lot of confusion. Lean is a philosophical, there's a set of principles that we could talk about. There, there are a set of principles for lean. And under those principles, you, you, you use tools to enact the changes that we were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. How do I take my lead time down? How do I improve quality and that type of thing, right? So, so Six Sigma is one of those tools that you might use at the right time to solve a very complicated statistical problem quality problem, right? And take out variation. But there are other tools that are much simpler. 
that you don't need the sophistication of Six Sigma. So what I did with when I we built the Danaher business system is we put Six Sigma on the on the on the on the steers with all the other tools. Okay. And we picked it when we needed it. And and here's my here's my everyday analogy. If you're a home builder, you know, Jack Welch would have said, okay, everybody here is going to use a hammer to build a house. Okay. But wait, boss, I, I gotta dig a I gotta dig a foundation. I gotta use a hammer. Uh, or I gotta saw a piece of wood. No, you gotta use the hammer. And that's what GE did with, and a lot of other companies, Motorola, for example, did with Six Sigma. They tried to solve every problem. And the old adage is that, you know, and I didn't make this up, but this is just the adage that is out there, which I agree with. When when the only tool in your tool belt is a hammer, all your problems look like nails, right? Mm. And so they, they tried to solve everything with that tool. Lean is much more eclectic, but it's housed in a set of principles. And those principles... If you if you're grounded in those principles, and I talk about this in the book, every decision you make should be in a, in concert with those principles. If they're not, you're not doing lean. Okay. Let's 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 just let's do, hold on hold on to that thought right there. We're with Mark Deluzio in his book, Flatlined, here on a new direction. Folks, guess what? You know what? Talk, talking about you know a new direction and talking about two companies that have really been great suppliers for us. It is. Epic Physical Therapy facility. They are, matter of fact, they've got facilities all over the Research Triangle Park. Absolutely fantastic. They help athletes from all over the world, by the way. I, I've, I've seen them. I'm seriously. They are amazing. They uh, they are my therapists. I've had surgeries. They've helped me recover and injuries. They've helped me recover. Here's what they have, right? First of all, they offer the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment. Things like the Ultra-G anti-gravity treadmill. Awesome. Takes pressure. If you're if you had some sort of knee knee work done, you can still run in the water. <laughs> you can still run, right? The Normatec compression sleeves, amazing, right? Feels like your joints are all back in place again. Boy, boy, do I need that. Then there's the game ready. I talk about it. I love it. It's my favorite. It's ice cold water compression at the same time takes the swelling right out. That's just a few, right? They're also trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting edge treatments like blood flow restriction therapy is one it's awesome dry needling if you've never had that done wow does that help relieve pain and then cupping which is manipulating the muscle uh through the skin that you'll see on the backs of swimmers uh listen it's just a few of the things they do but you can you can really learn more and you can get your epic relief and epic recovery and epic results by going to epic physical therapy and you can learn by going to epicpt.com that's e-p-i-c-p-t.com and linda craft and team realtors you know what 35 years, right? Still still at the top of their game. Why? Because it's about people. It's always about people. It's been about people since the very beginning for Linda. It's still about people today, 35 years later. And that's how she trains her team. And that's how she, she, she wants you to be treated the way she wants to be treated. And that's why she is still here doing what she does. She is known as the memory maker. Her customers say that her customer service is legendary. And you know what? And that's why she still does what she does. And she loves doing it. She will negotiate for you on your best behalf. And regardless where you're at in the world, Right, she can help you match up with the best real estate professional you can find. So whether, no matter where you live, and whoever's listening to me, wherever you live in this world, right, and you're looking for the best professional in real estate, start with Linda Craft. She can help you find the best real estate because why? She's not attached to a national company. She is an independently owned and operated company that is at the top of her game in the Research Triangle Park and around the world. So when you want to find the best, go with the best. Start right there with the two percent. 
as we talked about, start with LindaCraft and Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Mark C. Deluzio and uh, his uh, book, Flatlined. Uh, great, great read, by the way. I just really, I've read this thing, I think, about three times now. And um, every time I read it, I get something more out of it. Uh, I, 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 I'm sorry we cut you off there, Mark, before we went into break there for a second. Um, I, I do want to talk about, though, as we're as we're moving along here, is we've given a lot of word, to, a lot of lip service to kaizen, which is the Japanese. We've talked over and over. It's a Japanese word for continuous improvement, but it's actually really a very basic, fundamental block to lean. And um, you talk about in the book that the typical American mentality is that we all want to focus on the large radical improvements referred to as kaikao in Japanese, because we think that that's going to offer us the most benefit. However, um, both are important, but really it's kaizen, right? Where we have to, we have, which is based on philosophy that what we do today should be better than yesterday. That, that philosophy has to filter out through the entire business it can't be just it can't be just a lower level or a group level it's got to be a ceo level too doesn't it absolutely and, and it really starts with kaizen in your mind first mm. and then everybody thinks about factories and equipment or you know you know businesses and physical the physical nature of the improvements uh, products a lot of engineers like to think about product uh quality which, by the way, is important. Don't get me wrong, mm. but a lot of it has to do with the mindset that got you there, right? And 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 so that's that's what you have to look at. Now, you know, when you talk about breakthrough, which, as you said, the Japanese call it kakaku, and then kaizen, which is continuous improvement, the American mentality is it's 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 the, it's the tortoise and the and the hare story all over again, right? <laughs> and it's and it's you know the 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 tortoise ended up winning, right? Right. Uh, but the, the American mentality is that they want that silver bullet, that breakthrough. And again, I, I say, look, this is not about, you know, going to Home Depot or Lowe's and buying a refrigerator, bringing it home, plugging it in. And 30 minutes later, you have cold drinks and you're all done. Right. right. That doesn't work that way. OK. It's a lot of hard work. It's worth it. But it's a lot of hard. It's fun, too, by the way. Um, but Kaikaku, I mean, Kaizen is the fertilizer for kaikaku okay mm-hmm. so you, you have to kaizen comes out of doing kaizen okay, okay. in most cases right? right and those like i said i told you those doors don't open jay until you do that first series of kaizen and start looking at different ways of doing things so you start thinking about the different breakthroughs that happen in our world and uh you know it's amazing and again let's go back to the mentality of breakthrough nobody ever thought roger we were going to break the four minute mile until Roger, Roger, Roger Bannister did it, right? right? Then all of a sudden, everybody started breaking it, right? So it's a mentality more than anything. And, and uh, uh, you know, the Japanese will spend, you know, a lot of time taking two seconds out of a process, okay? But those mm-hmm. two seconds and those two seconds, and those, before you know it, you start getting some real time here. You Especially do- when you're making, a, a, you know, 800 a day, 1,000 a day, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Right. So it's unbelievable. Well, here's the other thing they found in, in in identifying breakthrough breakthrough that you talk about as well. That I just I I just feel like it's a relatable story um, that that people should know. Fred Smith, right, the who founder of FedEx, right, 
he got a C. You talk about this in the book. He got a C on his term paper from his Yale professor because here's what his professor said. The concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to receive a grade better than a C, the idea idea must be feasible. (laughs) There's... We are limited in our breakthroughs, isn't it, because of our our stinking thinking? Fred Smith is one. And uh, I'll tell you another one is is, uh, uh, Sam Walton from Walmart. Mm. You're going to put stores where? You're not going to put them in urban centers? Mm. Okay. That was a breakthrough. That was a breakthrough of thinking. If you you look at the Walmart logo on the back of their trucks, that's a a burst that Sam Walton had. That's what that represents. Mm. Okay. Fred Smith, the same thing, got a C from an Ivy League business school. And, uh, you know, so those are all great stories. And, you know, you think about it, Jay, uh, some of the greats in this world, uh, Freddie Mercury mm. was told Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't going to make it. It's now known as probably the best, arguably, <laughs> right. rock song ever right. in history. In history, okay? Right. Uh, you look at Michael Jordan getting cut from his his uh his high school basketball team right. all right i think that coach got a new job somewhere um you look at, <laughs> you look at walt disney get, get a job at a newspaper because the editor thought he lacked creativity right okay and i can go on the lady i forget her name now who wrote uh harry potter got turned right. out for over by over 20 publicists right uh or, or, or publishers i should say and and so uh, the list goes on of stories like that right but it's a rare portion that's a, that doesn't accept. No, it's easy. It's easy to come up with the reasons why things can't get done. Right. Okay. And people don't have a tendency to look at the things that could work in the commonality. And we have a notion too. Um, and one of the principles of Lean J is don't let perfect get in the way of better. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Right? Love that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. If you know that perfect solution, if you're waiting for that, you're going to wait for it. Okay. Yeah. As you know, and then by the way, once you get to be perfect, okay, somebody <laughs> else has a new benchmark. <laughs> right. If right. You don't ask me. I've been married for 40 years. Just ask my wife. She, yeah. I'm, well, you, I'm continually being Kaizen by her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, you tell us, we, you know, the, the, you say in the book that one of the things that you have to be careful of is that, you know, here you are doing your Kaizen, right? You're getting better. You're continuously improving and don't get, don't get too enamored with the status quo because what you think is so great now, somebody's going to come up and that's going to become status quo. So whatever you did, whatever you're doing right now is eventually going to be status quo, which is why you've got to be continually improving. And you exactly. make that point. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I had, I had a saying that Dan Earl that created Kaizen is a healthy dissatisfaction with the status quo. Right. In other words, let's celebrate on Friday. Right. On Monday, let's come back. Let's rethink it again. Right. Right. And let's not beat ourselves up, but it's not perfect. Right. Let's celebrate the fact that we made we made improvements, right? Right. And so a healthy dissatisfaction and status quo is is what we want to be thinking about um, uh, as we move through. Never become complacent. And I, I used to have people come to me at dinner, or, and even my clients will say, "Hey, Mark, what's a world class benchmark for earnings <laughs> per share, or you know, or growth, or inventory turns, or productivity?" I'm not going to come up with that number. Right. Okay. What what what's world class? We'll argue about it. Right. And it doesn't matter. All I know, and this is what I would tell them, you're not it. Now get back to work. Okay. Right. You're not world class, get back to work. And just improve off the base that you're at today. Okay. 
And that's, that's the thing. Everybody wants to argue about what is that number that's world-class. And by the way, if you were to accurately define whatever that number is, by the time you get there, it's going to change. Mm. Okay. So. Right. In chapter eight, we're talking, by the way, we're talking with Mark Deluzio, author of uh, Flatlines. Uh, he's also uh, known as the uh, father of uh, the lean, lean accounting, by the way, uh, joins us, which we're privileged to have in, in chapter seven. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do something. You talk about Toyota chairman uh, Fujio Cho describes the three keys to lean leadership as go see, ask why, show respect. Can you give us a, in a, just maybe a minute or two, could you give us a kind of a why? Yeah, you know, Toyota had a notion, Jay, that said that uh, they did not allow people to opine on a problem unless they observed it firsthand. Mm. Number one. So go see, go look, go see what's going on, right? Don't opine from afar. We do that a lot today mm-hmm. in, in general, um, in all aspects of life. Go see. Then the best question, exec, executives like to be able to give answers. And the Socratic method that we were taught with the Japanese is just ask why. Mm. Okay, ask why. Okay, why, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And, it's, and then when you ask, you know, you keep moving through. We have a thing called the five whys. You keep going right through. Um, and then show respect, of course. You know, the respect for people part of this thing and the Lean Trilogy ties into that is the biggest probably failure mode going in lean where you're not respecting your people. You're talking about it, but you're not really doing it. Uh, you know, so the show respect part is, has a lot of different things. If I'm something as simple as I'm not going to pick up my phone when it rings when we're in a conversation or bury my head in the computer while you're giving a presentation or being late for a meeting consistently, once in a while somebody would be late, but uh, those are little things. And then the bigger things are, I'm not asking you for your ideas. Mm. Okay. Things like that. I'm not asking you for your input on, on how to improve your work. Mm. You know, I'm going to come in and tell you, and if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Right. That's kind of like the, 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 the antithesis to, of, right. of, of, of what really does, you know, of what should be happening today. Right. Right. And everybody talks the game. But few really truly do it, and and that's that respect for people part is a big part that that Fujio Cho was talking about, and Toyota in general talks about in their respect for people. Listen, listen, the book, you know, I know it's a hundred pages, but you know, this thing is really just, you know, so packed. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, well, I'm, you know I'm, I'm, one of the things I've learned over the years is to see things differently. Like my wife would say to me. You, you saw that. Nobody else saw that, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not because I'm brilliant. It's because I was trained that way to to just think about things differently, you know, and see things, see things differently. But sometimes I have a blind spot right. and I don't see things that my wife would say, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? You know, and uh, so we all have it. You know, we all have right. the ability to do it. Like they say about psychic ability, we all have right. it. Uh, it's just a matter of development and just don't accept everything you hear or see right. or read. Right. And, you know, just challenge everything and 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 just ask why. Right. That's why. That's the best question an executive or anybody can ask. You know. Yeah. No. It, you, you know what? Listen. I think the thing the thing that I kept the thing I kept doing with this book um, every time I kept reading it I and every time I kept looking at it I and by the way it is just 
Mark, this thing, I am so sorry. I dog-eared this thing so bad. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, that's what it's for. I mean, I mean, the, you, you, can just, you can just see, you can just see. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I highlight. Hey, you're one of the few guys that read the whole book that uh, didn't fall asleep my way through. I told, <laughs> I told my, my, my clients, hey, you can, I want I want fifty percent of the savings on sleep medication that you're gonna. <laughs> no, actually, actually, every time I was reading it, uh, something I would be going, "Wow, wow, really, wow." You know what? We're not doing this. I'm thinking about my company. We're not doing this. We're not doing this in our company. The, you know what? The company that I'm the companies I'm consulting for. We're not. I didn't even get to naysayers, but the the, the fact that the fact of the matter is that you gave. I mean, we didn't even say, the, you gave the statistic, to, you know, look around you, 10% of the people are naysayers. You're so right. Yeah. You're so right. One out of 10 yeah. is a naysayer. You got 20 people, two of them are killing you. Yeah. And you either, and I love your approach, to, you know, and I get, this is the lean approach. I get it, right? The lean approach. You know what? First thing you do is, you, <laughs> what's, the, what's the quote? Uh, you got a quote here. Uh... The quote is, I got to find it here. I don't want to say it wrong. Um, change the people or change the people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. It's so, that's well, you so. Know, some of the biggest naysayers, Jay, become the biggest champions. You know? Right, right. I mean, I've seen that happen a lot. No. Yeah, no, right, because they get they buy in, right? Yeah. Right, when they eventually... They use their power. A lot of, see, there's a lot of informal leaders in businesses that don't have the titles, but everybody listens to Charlie or to Mary, mm. right? They have a lot of respect. Right. And if Mary's doing this, you know what? This can't be the right thing, you know? So if you can right. find the Marys and the Charlies of the world and win them over, the transition makes it, it, makes it a lot easier. It makes it right, right. Yeah, and you know you're right because people have a tendency to look at what because they have this kind of like uh, non-titled leadership, right? Right, and, right. And, and and they exist in every. By the way, these people exist in every com, com, company where people just kind of look to them to see what they're going to do, how yeah, they're going to respond. Leaders. Yep. Yep. Right? right, and have and I say, listen. Every place, every place that I consult, all the companies that I consult as well. Which are small to you know medium-sized businesses and and even micro um, businesses, you know every place that I go into, there's always that person. There, I, I don't care where it is. There's always that person where you go to a person, yeah. Right. Well, so the leader will say something in a group meeting, and I'm sitting in the meeting, right? And I'm just kind of observing, just sitting in the background, trying to just blend in. If you can blend in at six feet four, five inches tall, and 250 yeah. pounds. But I, I'm trying to blend in a little bit, and I'm just observing everything. And so the the CEO says, "This is the change we're about to make." And everybody everybody gives the eye glance to that one person in the room. That's not the leader. That's just the guy sitting at the table. And you start to go, "Oh, there's the real power." That's 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 the pl- that's the thing I'm always looking for is when people are in the meeting, who are the people looking at when a new change of direction or a new change mm-hmm. of edict goes out? Who do the people look at? Right? 
And then there's those people who just nod as if they're in some sort of a stone trance that, you know, they, they will follow you off a cliff because they just don't know better. But I always look for where the eyes go first when, because I know that that's the person who has the power, really. I also have those people who shake their heads yes, and then when they get in the hallway. Oh, yeah. I call them hallway commandos. You know? <laughs> they'll, they'll shoot you down behind your back in the hallway, and they'll basically, uh, you know, uh, undermine everything that you guys all agree to yeah. in that meeting. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... Right, because they're the ones they're the ones who are giving you the um, well. It's kind of like what you talk about fake lean, right? When you talk about in the book fake lean, right? It's kind of this whole idea that you're getting everything, you're getting all the lip service in the world, but their hearts nowhere close. Right, right to you to right. you to doing that. A lot of it, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it psychology too. You know, uh, a lot of psychology around this, but you know, one of the things that uh, we didn't really talk about. There's so much to talk about anyway, but. Um, Creating a blameless environment where, where, you know, if something goes wrong, you have two questions you can ask. You can ask, what did you do, Jay? What did, why didn't you let that happen? Or I could say, hey, Jay, what went wrong with the process and how can you and I fix it? Okay. I need your ideas on that. So now the focus is on the process, not on Jay. Okay. Different game. When I say, I start talking about Jay, all of a sudden, that's, you're defensive, you know, and even if you did something wrong, you know, the notion is if you made an error, the process let you do that and the process is wrong. OK, mm. it's not Jay's fault. OK, um, because if I have to require you to always remember on every 15th unit to hit the blue button twice instead of one time, then. You're not going to do that. Right. You're going to fail. Okay. So right. I can come to you and persecute you. Okay. Or I can say, hey, how can we get this where the process doesn't allow that to happen again? Now, all of a sudden, I got you on my side and we're talking about you and me trying to figure this out as opposed to me trying to penalize you. You know, that's a big deal. And that's yeah. not easy for a lot of leaders to do. Well, I think, and, you know, speaking of which, you know, we didn't get to this either. Gosh, there's so much. Is delegating problem solving. And oh, yeah. one of your yeah. one of your quotes that you say is problems should be solved at the lowest possible, highest necessary level in the organization. Right. And the closest to the work problem, the more the work slash problem, the more likely the problem will be fully understood and permanent solution will be implemented. Mm-hmm. But what I what I, in addition to that, what I found that you said is that so often we want to go to the smartest person in the room and we have a complex about that. Mm-hmm. And the A player isn't necessarily the best player. No, 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 no. Um, the smartest, you know, <laughs> a lot of the people who are firefighters are usually the best arsonists, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, they are, right? that's brilliant. And, uh, that's brilliant. Good for you. Yeah. You know? And, and, uh, and the smartest guy in the room, if, if there is a smartest guy in the room, that's a problem because then all of the ideas come from that person and uh, you're not really harnessing the collective uh, 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 input from the people who really do know what's going on. Right. You know, and I mean, they're there every day. So the lowest you can get closer to the problem, the qual- the quality, I- I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real quick example. Sure. There was in, in Brighton, England, 
Uh, when I was at Danaher, I got a call from one of the uh, group executives. Mark, you've got to go over to Brighton, England to help us fix a test stand problem. They're making temperature controllers. And they would test the, test the finished test, uh, thing on the finished unit, and it would fail. Then they would test it again, and it would pass. So they would call that no fault found. It was a good unit, but the test stand screwed up. Anyway, all the engineers looked at it. Everybody looked at it. And I don't know anything about this test stand. You know, I'm not even an engineer. But I went over and facilitated one of the tools that we have. It's called CDAC, cause and effect diagram with addition of cards, and facilitated by saying, guys, did we bring operators in on this problem? No, why? Why? So I got the group of operators together and I got the engineers, I got the vice presidents. We all sat in a room for a couple of days and I facilitated this process. One of the operators says, by the way, this problem doesn't happen on the weekends. <laughs> I go, excuse me? I said, talk more about that. Well, long story short, what we found out was the factory next door to them, which wasn't ours, had a process that transmitted electronic magnetic interference, EMI, over the every time they ran a process, which was intermittent during the week, but they never worked on weekends. That EMI was interfering with our test stands. Mm. Okay. The operator came up with that. He said, yeah, it doesn't happen on the weekends. We never have this problem on the weekends. Whoa, wait a minute. Okay. And we found out that this test, this uh, process next door at this other company, they only ran it like, maybe, you know, during the day they would on and off, on and off, on and off, intermittent. So when they did run it and we were testing the product, that's when we had the problem. So the solution was to put a, a copper shield around the test stand so that it wouldn't be affected by the EMI coming in. Okay. That was, that was an operator. Okay. That was an operator. All these high-priced engineers, these vice presidents, okay? Well, no, I, I flew all the way to Brighton, England. It was a nice place to go, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I, I got stopped. I couldn't get in my hotel the night before because the uh, IRA put a, a, a pipe bomb and a bicycle on the pier. Oh, nice. I couldn't get into my hotel for like three hours. But anyway, uh, so uh, so the operator, you know, did you guys ever talk to the operator? The guy that does the work? I mean, I, I got a lot of stories like that. I mean, you, you just can't make that kind of stuff up. You, you, you had great story. By the way, your case studies in, in, your, uh, in the book, the case studies in the book and your personal stories were fantastic. By the way, I enjoyed okay. I enjoyed them. Yeah, I got a lot of compliments on the case stories because they come from real life yeah. things that I've seen, you know. And uh, it's it's real life it's real life uh, um, experiences, you know. Just I've done this for thirty years, and you know, uh, and I've done it in a lot of different industries. That which and you know the the whole notion of flatline was when a CEO calls me up. And says, "Hey, we've been doing lean for ten years, but we flatline." They always use that word, flatline. Mm. That's why I call them a flatline. So, so you know. one of the things we didn't get to, um, and I, I really, you know, I really wanted to talk about, and I just, it just knew we didn't have the time at that time, but we do now. Um, if you don't mind indulging me here, as we're doing some post recording, um, having some fun, uh, we're not live any longer, but we're still recording. Um, okay. It, one of the things you talk about is in chapter seven, use lean principles to evolve your company culture. I found it interesting that, you know, 
lean, first of all, lean is not really a strategy, but it's got to be part of your strategy. Lean is not really a culture, but it really needs to be an integral part of your culture. I, I don't know. I, do I got that right? I mean, first of all, do I got that? Yeah, do, well, well, you know, there's some, like Art Byrne, who wrote my, my forward, who's, who's a pretty formidable uh, lean guy as, as well in the, in the world. Um, does think he will say lean is a strategy. Okay. And I, and I do agree with him, but, uh, but you know, I, I guess what I'm, what my part though, is that if you don't have a good sound business strategy, you know, for example, I use the example, if you're selling cement life preservers, it doesn't matter how lean you are. Okay. Right. Cement life preservers aren't going to sell. If you're selling buggy whips, not going to sell. Right. Right. So you have to have a good product strategy, a good market strategy, and enhance that strategy through the capabilities that lean will bring you in terms of safety and quality and delivery and lead times and things like that. And if you do all those things, your costs will fall through and, uh, and, and your profitability will be there and your profitable growth. Right. So, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, I've even taken commodity businesses and tripled them. You know, you know, when you have a commodity business, the only thing that you can negotiate on is price. Right. But if I have a commodity and I can give you better lead times and I can give you better uh, 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 you know, service and, and quality, I win. Okay, I win. Even, I can even get price out of a commodity if I can do that. Mm. So. We, you, you, you quote on page 75, you say, if lean is an enterprise endeavor, culture is the glue that holds the entire infrastructure together. So now help us go into the cultural aspect of it. Well, you know, what, what really first us to define what culture is, isn't it a, a, uh, a set of behaviors in accordance to what you say your principles and norms are? Beliefs, and, and, values. You know, what, yeah. you know and, and so many companies, Jay, give it lip service. And I talk about the fact that uh, every single value on your website or your principles that you beholden, you're beholden to and if you look at all the values that everybody has, it's all the same stuff. It's all honesty, integrity, teamwork, communications, <laughs> yeah. customers first, yeah. it's all the same crap. But those, I'm saying it's crap, but, but, but basically, if you don't have fundamental processes to back all that up, and a good example would be you said problem solving, right? Right. So problem solving being the, 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 uh, 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 at, at the lowest possible level, highest necessary level, so I, I'll ask a, a company, and I've done this to, to C-suite CEOs and their staff. Do you guys really believe that a problem solving at the lowest level? Everybody, oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you guys have a problem solving process to teach your people? And if you do, have you taught them? Mm, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you give them time to solve problems? Mm, no. And, do, and if you do, do you give them the support, like the engineering, the technical support, whatever, to help them solve problems? Mm-hmm. No, the house can get done. Right. How's it? How about career? Do you believe that the number one job of a leader is to develop their people? Okay. Yeah, we all, yeah, we believe that. Okay. How many people here have career plans? Zero. Well, if you don't have career plans, I'm sure your people don't either. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you don't have process to do that. So it's a really nice thing to say, you know, for example, if I want to become a general manager and I don't have good, uh, let's say commercial experience, are you going to give me 15%? Of my time to go out on a, with the sales force to, to learn how to do customer calls and learn the market and all that. Yeah. If not, it's all talk. Right. 
So I say that principles and values without an underlying process are slogans. Yeah, That's what they are. I love that quote on page 76. It, you call it your personal tagline. Keep in mind, the values of, the values of principles without underlying processes are merely <laughs> slogans. I loved that. I love that. And your principles that you've adopted to strive to implement in everything that you do, um, respect for people, flow first, pull where you can't, never ever push, um, solve problems at the lowest possible and the highest necessary level in the organization, no, opin- no opinions unless you go into Gemba, um, assure quality before passing on a product or service, don't let perfect get in the way of better. You've used all these, by the way, in, in show earlier. Use your brain before your wallet. Love that one. Um, it's not a process unless it's documented. Love that. I love this one. In God we trust, all others bring data. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I stole that from Dr. Deming, by the way. That's yeah, but I still, I still, well, you live by it, so it's still good, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And the, the, the principle of just in time, uh, which is great, and then a healthy dissatisfaction with the status quo. I just, I just, oh, and a blameless environment, um, Right. I just I just thought that those were just brilliant. And, you know, they really should be things that I think we all really could live by. Right. I mean, start with respect for people. Just start there. And and it's a and it it's a game changer. Exactly. Yeah. And that that could be one of the biggest. And by the way, you know, you know, I, I talk about Danaher's financial success. Right. Just because you're successful financially does not mean you're a great company. Mm. Okay. Because if you're disrespecting your customers and your employees, I don't care how financially successful you are, your shareholders won in that regard. The other two did not. Right. So, so I I really do think that, you know, when when I look at what is a great company, a great enterprise, you've got to check the box at all those. Okay. And, and I do happen to know a company that we're client that I don't fire and I won't tell you who they are. I won't even tell you what industry they were in. They were unbelievably disrespectful to their people, but unbelievably profitable. Right. Okay. And they had lead times that went forever. Mm. Uh, 250 day lead time for something that took an hour and a half to do. Wow. Right. And, and so, but they were fat, dumb and happy. They were, they were, they were happy in what they were doing. And uh, their biggest problem wasn't that they disrespected people. Their biggest problem was they did not even recognize they were disrespected people. Wow. Okay. And, they, and that's they, the biggest problem. They, and Tashi Ono had a saying that I learned from my masters who, who were his lieutenants. He said, no problem is problem. Mm. Okay. No problem is problem. So these guys didn't even recognize or even agree to the fact that they had a problem. Mm. Okay. And that's the problem. So I can't I can't put them on the list of being a great company, even though they knocked the cover off the ball financially. You know, okay. you know, it has always been a very, you know, interesting saying. And I and the more I hear, you know, people like you, and you know, they're just so you know big in the industry and that have been in multi billion dollar environments and companies and and have worked at this worked at that level. One of the things that I keep hearing in my head is the most dangerous people are the people who don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And I, that, and I know it sounds like such a silly phrase, but when I hear what you say, the truth of the matter is, you know, they may be financially successful, but what they don't know 
or what they refuse to know or what intentionally or not. And you make this point in your book too, that a lot of times it's not sins of commission more than sins of omission. But the fact is what you don't know what you don't know does make you dangerous because you don't know how great you could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how great, I mean, let's say that, let's say they are making money hand over fist. If they were, if they were to treat people better, right? Their customers and their employees, how much more money would they make? I mean, I I mean, I mean, the, the number, the numbers are going to blow you would blow us away, right? It would, and and you know, I, I guess the notion that hey, uh, uh, you know, this is below me. This is we don't need to do this. Look at mm-hmm. our results. I'm fat, dumb, and happy. I, <laughs> I just made my millions of dollars this last year. Uh, you know, why why screw it up? Okay, why why change? And what they don't realize, and this is where the disrespect comes in, is that someday these executives are going to retire and leave a mess behind them. And sooner or later, the industry is going to, uh, in this particular company's case, the industry is going to recognize their inefficiencies. There'll be a takeover acquisition, and uh, and somebody will buy them at a a uh, fraction. Uh, and, well, yeah, well, they'll buy them at a, at a good multiple and, and, and maybe even a good EBITDA number, but that EBITDA number will be inferior to what a real good company can do with it. And and so what ends up happening is the people that are left behind are the ones that are disrespected, but they're not thinking about that. OK, uh, nothing is forever. Right. Everything right. Changes. Right. And somebody's going to get better. Somebody's going to figure out, for example, how to do something. Totally different. I mean, even Jeff Bezos, you think about uh, Amazon, right? Right. That was a breakthrough. And it made retail stores, the bricks and mortar stores, almost obsolete in some regard. Yeah, no, it did, right. You know, and but now with blockchain technology, Jeff Bezos is sitting there saying, hey, maybe Amazon's going to be a thing of the past. In, right. In, uh, you know, I mean, with blockchain technology, you can go right to the factory or right to the producer and order it for that guy in Taiwan or China, and it will be on your doorstep. You know, so... So you don't you don't have to go through an intermediary anymore. You get the price break on it and everything else. So you know when you start looking at at, at change, to think that nothing's going to change in your industry is so foolish. And if you look at any industry, pick one. I could tell you. I'm sure you could tell me how they all change. Oh, and yeah. if we sat back and uh, you know uh, and, and and just and just you know remain complacent, then. We'll, you know, we'll still be working on, uh, you know, uh, you know, cassette players and eight tracks. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, you know, you know, it's a really good, you know, it's a really good video to watch. Uh, it's only, well, there's different versions of it. It's like a 10 minute jobber out there, t- 10 or 12. When Steve Jobs enters, uh, announces the iPhone, it's from 2007. I every business student should look at that because he really understood the customer. Okay, and and. And he took, you think about what he did. He took the internet, he took email, he took uh, voice. He made visual, he had visual voice now where I don't have to listen to 13 messages right. to get to my 13th one. I can pick the one I want to go after with visual, you know, uh, my emailing. He said, hey, look, the BlackBerry takes up a third of your keyboard and you don't always need a keyboard. So let's get rid of the keyboard. He rethought that. All of a sudden, it's a virtual keyboard. When you need a keyboard, it pops up. When you don't, it goes away, right? 
just stuff like that. He really thought about the customer, right. okay, and what they're all about. He was brilliant in that regard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just him, by the way, but right. he was brilliant how he thought about the user. And we just don't do that today very well. We really don't do that very well. Would, would, would you indulge me in, a, in, a, in answering a question? Sure. So this show is called A New Direction. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason why we call it A New Direction is because we try to help people find a new direction in success and leadership, whether that be in their life, their career, and business. If, if you could give people a new direction, you know, based on, you know, flatlined and, and lean and this book that you've brilliantly written, what would that new direction be? I think, I th- well, you know, I think the new direction has to be maybe nothing to do with lean or even, well, maybe continuous improvement, but a mindset that just doesn't accept negativity, that when you wake up in the morning, you choose to be happy, right? And when I give career advice to people, how do you get happy? Maybe happiness is even the wrong word to use, but I have a, and I can send this to you too, Jay. I, I wrote a paper that said never work again. Okay. And how, and there's four steps. I have four steps as well. And I like your four steps, by the way, a lot. Uh, and I'm trying, I was thinking when I heard those, how can I combine those four steps with my four steps? <laughs> hey, look, that's maybe we should do it together, right? right. That's continuous improvement. That's okay? Kaizen. Yeah. When I, that's right. When I heard that, I said, okay, how does that work now? You know, um, because I think what you do is that's the fundamental foundation of where mine's going to work, and and if, if without yours, th- there's no foundation, right? Uh, we can talk maybe more about. It. Let me explain yeah. what my four steps are. So when somebody comes to me for a career, hey Mark, I want you to write my uh, help me write my resume. A military guy, let's say, wrong question. No, I'm not going to write your resume. Let's first start about what is your passion. Mm. What are you passionate about? Okay, I'm passionate about lean. Great. I'm passionate about helping people. Great. Teaching. Great. I'm passionate about heart disease. Great. Okay. Whatever it is, veterans, PTSD, whatever. Right. Okay. Now that you have a passion identified or two, how do you tie that into a vocation? Okay. Where can you actually do that most of the time where you're at this thing called work? Right. Um, and so if you can do your passion and every job has a part that stinks, right? right? But if you could do your passion, all right, in a job, okay, you're a lucky person. And I'm lucky because I get up in the morning. I, I am not drudging anything that I do. There's a couple of things I have to do that are drudgery. But, um, but you, you know, okay, so I got the vocation. Now I have to say, this, okay, now, does that vocation provide me with the financial wherewithal to be able to live the life I want to live? Whether I have kids going to college, whether I have, you know, I want to live in a big house, or I have a nice car, uh, I want to go on 10 vacations a year, whatever it is, right? <laughs> so, so how do I, how do I match that vocation now that's interlaced with my passion to make whatever money I need to make? And then the last part about that is once you get all those three checkboxes to some degree, uh, they'll never be fully checked, right? right? Then I say to myself, okay, how does now all fit with my personal life, my family life, right? Because I, I could say, look, hey, I love lean. 
oh yeah, I'm going to be a consultant. That's my vocation. I can use lean and teach people in lean. Oh yeah, by the way, I can make a lot of money. Oh yeah, but I'm going to be away 90% of the time and my wife's going to divorce me. So that won't work, right? right. But you see, so if you can kind of figure out those four steps, you will never work again. His name is Mark C. Delosio. Mark, you were great. Thank you for being, uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, man, you were, you were fantastic. Um, uh, and um, by the way, I'm going to have a cop. I'm going to have uh, the links to Mark's website as well as to flatlined on the blog post right up for the show. So make sure you check out that. Um, you know what I say to you every week, right? It's like be inspired because when you're inspired, you can inspire others. And when they are inspired, they in turn inspire other people. And that makes this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book and another great show. And as I say to you every week, and you know what that is, right? Ciao. Every buddy. When you lost your confidence and the answers don't make sense, you got to keep your hope alive. You know you can survive This is your time to find A new direction, a brand new day A new direction, things are gonna change You can find the strength to go a different way Dreams will take you places you have never been before. Find your passion, find your strength.